I'm Ken Clark, and I'm the minister of the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. Here's another recording of our worship services, which allow us to worship remotely while we cannot gather in the church in Old Bennington Village to worship on Sunday morning. These services will be posted weekly and available on our website, and you can also find them as a podcast, which is entitled A Walk to Cleo Hall. That you can find on Anchor, Spotify, or other podcast apps. This service is intended for January 10th, 2021. Our organist is Jean-Marie Callahan, and the preacher is Ken Clark. Welcome to worship at the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. Our opening words are said responsively and found in the order of service. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Teach us the ways of peace and the path of kindness. Be with us, O Lord, in all we do and say. Our hymn is, O Splendor of God's Glory Bright.
join me in saying the opening prayer, which is found in the order of service. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you and against one another in thought and word and deed. We are truly sorry for our pride and for our lack of faith, of understanding, and of love. We repent of our narrow-mindedness, of our bitterness and our prejudices. Pardon and forgive us, save us and renew us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. If we confess our faults, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. first reading today is from the Old Testament book of Genesis, the very beginning of the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Our hymn is, This is the day the Lord hath made. Our second lesson is taken from the book of Acts in the 19th chapter, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to expand a little bit on the context of this in the sermon, but uh, I will just read this as we have it, these few verses. But we'll 
want to create some context for you in saying that this is in the book of Acts telling the story of the journey of the Apostle Paul as he's going out on his mission spreading the gospel after the death of Jesus and resurrection at Easter time, uh, going forth to a mission to the Gentile world. He is in the Asian, Aegean regions now and trying to spread his knowledge of his encounter with Christ and the gospel itself. In this section, it builds upon an earlier piece of uh, information in the 18th chapter about a man named Apollos. And in that earlier chapter, we learn that now there came to Ephesus a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria in Egypt, He was an eloquent man, well-versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So this is who Apollos is. And we begin our reading for today in the beginning of the 19th chapter, verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, Into what were you baptized? They answered, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about twelve of them. Here ends the second lesson. Well, as you can tell today, I'm going to be speaking about the scriptures, particularly in the book of Acts. But I want to begin this by talking a little bit about what in biblical uh, studies, often the literary analysis of the Bible begins with something called the Sitzenleben, which is the German word for the situation in life, the Sitzenleben. And it is the case uh, when we do these sermons, which are recorded in advance and prepared for you on Sunday morning to first hear them on the Sunday that is appointed uh, so that we can worship in this rather strange time that we find ourselves. Our sits in Laban today is a little bit unusual. I'm preaching on a Thursday after a kind of a disruptive day for our nation yesterday. And I try, uh, I don't know where we'll be on Sunday. I don't know if things will be a lot better or a lot worse. My prayer is that things will seem better. Always, they say, in war, for example, the, or any piece of news, uh, the first reports are always wrong. So who knows what we will see by Sunday when you're hearing this. I hope we're seeing better things than worse. I thought to myself, and I have to some degree, even preaching today, tried to isolate or insulate myself from a lot of news. I don't always find that that's helpful, especially when we're by ourselves so much. Um, One of the things I wanted to talk about today was that precise sense. We're all, as they say in modern days, siloed. Uh, We all have our big cylindrical tunnels that reach high up into the sky and deep down, I guess, to the earth, but we live in a very circumscribed little silo and we don't often communicate with others. This isn't just true for COVID. This is true for how we consume our media these days, who we socialize with, who we see on the streets, and indeed we move out of these silos and see other people, but the encounters are not always... um, extensive. We don't really know who we're talking to. If we talk to someone down at the store who's not in our group, not in our silo. 
And it occurred to me that one of the things that silos do, especially with silage, is that they pack things together and they isolate and ferment. And as a result of all that compression and that being alone, silage results, which is a process of fermentation. When things are ensiloed in that way, they don't see the light of day or air or experience other things except things of the same nature. In a silo is either all hay or all grain or some kind of rye or wheat or whatever it is that you've put in the silo. But you're not going to get anything different. It's all uniform and the same. I think one of our problems these days is we all have our silos and because we are isolated either practically for health reasons or perhaps through media consumption and preferences, we tend to hang with those we're comfortable with. And we forget about the rest of the world and as we are in these bunkers, that's the other analogy for them, I guess, other than silos, um, as we are in these places, our views become reinforced and deeper and more firmly held. We believe things that may not necessarily be true, and we take it as gospel that this is the way the world is. Very hard to break down these barriers, to break down these silos, and perhaps a, a worrying thing. I'm in a silo in the sense that I tend not to watch as much news. I was thinking of my friends, the monks who have a place on the top of uh, Equinox up in Manchester. Those monks uh, very rarely go out into the world. I don't know how much news they consume, but in times I try to make myself like a monk and not enter into the world so much. And yet we neglect the wider world and the light and the sunshine. God said, let there be light. We neglect the wider world at our peril. We were not meant to be alone. Uh, we were not meant only to encounter those like us. We were not meant um, to live in a silo, so to speak. So I don't know what Sunday will bring for you when you hear this. It brings for me on this day when I preach, day uh, after our U.S. Congress has met, it brings to me a, a sense of unknowing and foreboding, I suppose. It forces me to want to think and hope and pray for the best, but also in some senses to rather fear uh, the situation we find ourselves in when we don't have a lot of practical remedies. One of the other, aside from Zitzenleben, one of the other adages or, or ways of preaching is not to make things too specific. That's what I go on. I, uh, I rely upon you to make your own decisions, to read the scriptures, to interpret what's said for yourself, to be stimulated, provoked uh, by what I say in some degrees, and perhaps to agree, but I'm not looking for agreement so much as I'm looking for you to think with your heart and your mind and there's no such thing as, well, thinking with your heart, thinking with your soul. But to have your heart and mind, well, to have your, to think with your mind, and to have your heart and soul pricked, how's that? That's the better way of putting it. That's what I hope to do here by handling the scriptures. Leave the rest up to God's good grace. And on that note, I want to bring in one other thing. As I was thinking about the situation we find ourselves in, I thought of the words of Winston Churchill, uh, the Prime Minister of England during World War II, uh, and also, I should note, obviously, whose mother was a Jerome, uh, so uh, thought of Winston Churchill, and he gave a speech in 1942, as a matter of fact, specifically it was November 10th, 1942, after um, the British forces had won a battle in Egypt. Uh, it was the first battle won after a series of terrible defeats, 1942, a grim year for Britain, uh, under attack. And already Dunkirk had happened, defeat after defeat, withdrawal to the island, the idea that they were going to have to fight 
uh, a long battle with, with no certain outcome. And in this place, Churchill, what a wordsmith, whatever else you may think. Uh, what a wordsmith and what words he wrote then. Uh, it was the second battle of El Almin, and it was a victory, one of the first victories for the British forces. And this is what Churchill said. Now is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Well, those words have been taken from this time and they've been incorporated into songs and books and other places. Uh, but that's a feeling that I rather have in terms of where we are now in a new year, one of hope, one of brightness, and yet, uh, whether it's in matters of health, whether it's in matters of politics, whether it's in matters of our faith and life as a church community, uh, the words, now is not the end, it is not even the beginning of the end, but is perhaps the end of the beginning. I think those words are rather fitting. The great thing about those words is they can be used almost any time for anything, and they are apt, but uh, I think they're important to keep in mind at this time. I can't resist having quoted Churchill in that regard. He went on in the same speech, to quote a historian or a commentator, the, eight, the late M. Venizelos observed that in all her wars, England, he should have said Britain, of course, always wins one battle, the last. Here we are, here we stand, a veritable rock of salvation in this drifting world. What words again, and that phrase, England, England always... Uh, in all her wars, England always wins one battle the last. And again, this here we stand, a veritable rock of salvation in the image, in this drifting world. One thing, turning to Churchill at that moment, this day, and using him in this sermon, uh, I ache for people who can speak to our condition, whether, again, it be in the field of religion, or of medicine, or of politics, with such clarity, and with such conviction, and such truth. Um, we're looking for words of true leaders, wherever we are, and otherwise we are in, indeed uh, in a drifting world, looking for that rock of salvation. And what is the rock of salvation? Well, of course, it is the scriptures spread out before me, and I want to turn and spend some time in beginning this scriptural section uh, talking about the book of Acts and giving you some uh, preliminary information. This Sunday is usually the baptism of Jesus. The readings are for the baptism of Jesus, and indeed these are from parts of that section. I wanted to choose the Genesis because it was a second creation story. We, we read from the book of John last week. Uh, the New Testament creation story. Here's one of the two Old Testament creation stories, Genesis 1 through 5, Let There Be Light, remembering the book of, uh, in the Gospel of John, the idea of Logos, and here in the book of Genesis, this idea of let there be light. Uh, two very powerful positive images uh, for creation and life and being in this world. The book of Acts, which is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke, uh, telling this, the story of the missionary impulse of the church, we find Paul in Corinth, and we have this story about him and Apollos. And again, I don't want to bring this back to, to basic, uh, basic uh, human events, but I will tell you, uh, if you're at home this week, and maybe I'll preach on it next week, depending on what Sunday brings, what this Sunday brings when you're hearing this, but if you go further into Acts 19, the next section you will find is a section which those little Bible captions uh, at the top of the text uh, call the riot at Ephesus. And indeed, it tells a story of a riot uh, that occurs in one of the religious temples at Ephesus, 
uh, following the words of Paul and the actions of some of the disciples uh, in that community, a riot ensues. We don't always have that uh, in our lectionary readings, and perhaps we'll pay attention to that uh, next week. That's not what I want to do today. I want to talk briefly about this book of Acts, this idea of Apollos. We get a picture of him as somebody who's uh, a Jew, uh, who studied Jesus, who has had this baptism of repentance through John the Baptist, who told people to repent, to turn around, to turn back to God. And this is that first baptism, the baptism of John, that's being spoken of in this section of Scripture. And this picture of Apollos is a great one because he's obviously an intelligent person, eloquent man, well-versed in the Scriptures. Um, but you get the idea that Apollos has learned everything by the book. He's repented. He's a really good, observant Jewish person uh, who has encountered Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. We find later, before we get to the 19th chapter, uh, Apollos knew only the baptism of John, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And there they are in the Jewish synagogue, the setting of the first early uh, breakouts of Christianity. Uh, he spoke clearly in the synagogue. And then Priscilla and Aquila hear him, who are followers of Paul. And these two, this couple hears him. They took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Well, there you go. That always happens in life, isn't it? You think you know something, and then two people come up and take you by the, by the arm and lead you to the side and explain something to you more accurately. Sometimes those explanations are right. Sometimes they're wrong. Um, but in this case, uh, they do their explanation, and um, Apollos uh, begins to see the light, so to speak. They speak to him about this second baptism that he's going to encounter uh, and that is told about in the 19th chapter when Apollos was in Corinth. Pat, Paul comes to his town of Ephesus and what follows is this encounter where he meets 12 people asking them if they received the Holy Spirit when they became believers. One perhaps thinks that, well, you know, they had the same instruction Apollos had and really didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit, they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, so much for our Trinitarian doctrine. It didn't come all at once, did it? Uh, here it comes as the formation of what it is to be a follower of Christ. These people thinking that they're with the program, and yet they haven't heard of the Holy Spirit. And so then Paul says, into what were you baptized? And like Apollos, they answer, into John's baptism, that baptism of repentance. I'm going to amend my ways. I'm going to turn to God. I'm no longer going to do these things that I've been doing, but I'm going to do good deeds and, and, and uh, reform my life. Paul says John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come. So Paul uh, takes this a little bit further, using John the Baptist's authority to introduce Christ and then comes the Holy Spirit. Paul lays his hands on these. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Uh, what you have here is an imitation of what happened in the upper room when the Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost. And the interesting thing here in the book of Acts is it happens again with Paul, uh, with 12 people in Ephesus. There's a laying on of hands, and there is this encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's a different kind of baptism, encounter. That's a different kind of experience. It's not just repentance. It's not just I'll do better, but it's a sense that my life is changed. Repentance is a deep change, but this is something more, and it's shown by these people speaking in tongues and prophesying. Speaking in tongues is that gibberish. Prophesying is seeing what will come and speaking about it, either in warning or expectation. Speaking in tongue and prophesying is a sense of what you do when the Holy Spirit is about. Now that sounds very strange to us, 
we don't often speak in tongues, and if we were, we would risk being perhaps uh, scrutinized very carefully to see what's going on. Um, we know in the Old Testament, speaking in tongues is a sense of confusion. Speaking in tongues happens when no one understands each other. Speaking in tongues happens when you're in your silo, I'm in my silo, and we try to communicate. We can't understand. There's no understanding there. It's an image of the Tower of Babel, where everything seems to fall apart and into confusion, where all human pride and human advancement, we think we're going to do wonderful things, and it falls apart in this confusion of tongues. Surprising to me how many people who don't think or take very seriously a biblical heaven, are so eager to embrace the idea that they can create a heaven on earth, uh, and yet they reject out of hand that there can be any other kind of heaven. We create for ourselves structures. We create great, ambitious projects that we will complete, and then we're confounded. That sense of confusion at the Tower of Babel, is that the same as speaking in tongues? I want to suggest to you it's not. This speaking in tongues is a change of language. We all know that when this happens, others seem to have that gift of being able to discern. These people still seem to be in communication with one another. And I want to share with you today, perhaps will illuminate where I'm getting and going with this, a commentary that I read uh, by Jacob Myers in an online blog called Working Preacher, uh, but it is a quote from a book by May Gwendolyn Harrison, and she's speaking about language generally, but she's speaking about language when it becomes disordered and why it might become disordered. And Jacob Myers, in, his, um, in the piece that he wrote, is making the suggestion that this disarrangement of language, this speaking in tongues, is not gibberish. It's not like the Tower of Babel, where we all fall apart. But it is a way of us seeing the other, understanding that there is something very different from ourselves, understanding that there is perhaps something we need to learn, understanding perhaps that what seems threatening and terrible is just a different way of being. And May Gwendolyn Harrison uses this in regards to talking about fiction, African-American women writers. I'll give the quote, and I'll probably have to give it several times, but she writes, African-American women writers, with Audre Lorde and Toni Morrison, as privileged examples, display a way of thinking about languages that refuses to participate in systems of thought that favor patriarchal, heteronormative, and Anglo-European modes of thought. It is a kind of speaking and writing that embraces differences and multiple identities through discourse. As such, it shows a way of thinking about speaking in tongues that does not devolve into the inanity of charismatic expression, but is nevertheless productive in the lives of men and women. That's a big thought, and it may provoke you on several grounds. I know this past week we had a situation, I got out of my silo enough to see that somebody had ended a prayer by saying, Amen and Ah Woman. Uh, that's an exact example of using language in a provocative, perhaps, way, different way, speaking in tongues, uh, asking us to think about something else as we're thinking about the usual. We're seeing language change quite a bit. And some of that, to some people, is threatening. Uh, to other people, it's liberating. Uh, to most of us, it's showing us a new way of being and thinking. 
And this language is on all sides of the coin of the realm and our culture. All sides. And yes, it is a little bit of the Tower of Babel. But I like to think perhaps that somehow the Holy Spirit is still moving in our life and in our culture, moving in a way that is forcing us to understand what we're really about here in this world. The benefit of moving about and seeing others and not being just in a silo. The benefit of encountering that different language. The benefit of being uncomfortable on all sides. Not always a great place to be coming out of Christmas, such a comfortable time of year for most of us. We love comfort. We love the warm place. Being uncomfortable is not always good, but usually in an adventure, there's discomfort, but there's also reward. That's where I want to be hopeful about where we're headed, the end of the beginning. I want us to know sometimes when you hear speaking in tongues, sometimes when that happens, the first question of any religious person would be, is this of God or is this of the devil? That's in most movies that I've seen that involve speaking of tongue in tongues, you know. Is this of God or is this of the devil? Hard to say. But it's our growing edge. It's an uncomfortable place. It's what Ecclesiastes said last week, the time we're in. A time to break down or a time to build up. Who we are as a people of faith, as a religious people, are people who want to be able to hear through the sound, through the discord. We want to be able to hear with the help of the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? Laying one's hands on somebody, not just that, but looking at this life through a lens of prayer and meditation and self-awareness. Looking at this life and although it's full of reasons to be fearful and scared and disillusioned, looking at this life and knowing that there is something more that sustains us through this life, love, action, commitment to service. These are the things that mark a church, even when we're not meeting in this particular silo here on Monument Ave. Love, action, and commitment to service. Those things bring us together and they also send us out into the world. They send us beyond our comfort zones. And they ask us to listen to others, to live through difficult times, and to discern at every moment whether the Spirit is moving with us or whether we're moving toward or away from the Spirit. That's the act of baptism. That's our second baptism. How we make that real in our lives is a question we shall answer in the days ahead. Amen. Our next hymn is Midnight Stars Make Bright the Sky.
welcome and thank you all for being here with us at this worship today. You joining us wherever you may be. One of the things I thought about as uh, I was listening to that hymn, uh, which I want to say, let me say that first. Uh, the hymns are still for the end of our Epiphany season. Epiphany ended on Wednesday of this past week. So the 12 days of Christmas are over and uh, we're on to other things. Took advantage of the fact that we don't have a full congregation here to sing hymns, but Jean-Marie Callahan, our organist, who we thank for her work today and all days, is here, and she was able to accompany us on this, which was a Christian hymn from China, Midnight Stars Make Bright the Sky. I can assign those challenging things when there's no no congregation to kind of stumble along with it. She knows how to read the notes, although I'm a little bit, I look in our hymnal and I see at the bottom of the end of the hymn, a little thing that has a note sign and it says equals 88-96. Jean Marie knows what that means. I have no idea what that means and she'll explain it to me, I'm sure. That's the end of the epiphany season. What I was going to say is because another reason from recording these things, one of our benefits is when I say in a sermon, I'll repeat this, I suddenly realize, oh, I don't have to repeat that. You can just stop and go back and play it again as many times as you want till you hear it. But I do think that quote on uh, language uh, is is a good one and, and perhaps worth your time. So um, you have the ability to go back and, and replay it. Once again, we are in a situation where we have not yet resumed services here at the church full-time on Sunday morning, so we're continuing to record. Uh, a few bits of news. Number one, our opening committee will meet again today uh, after this service, and we'll have some discussions about where we're going. We're kind of feeling our way. We're at a point, I would say, where it is um, less a matter of science in terms of can we uh, physically do what we need to do than judgment, and so that's where we find ourselves. Uh, we have made some improvements here at the church to the extent that there is now internet service uh, in the building. And uh, if we make any changes, uh, hopefully one of those changes will be to both live stream and record uh, whatever service is produced when we go back to having services on Sunday morning. So we'll see where that goes and keep you posted. Really, those are the announcements that I have except to say that our annual meeting is coming up and you'll get some notices about that, how we're going to do it and what we're going to do. Some of these questions still have to be resolved, but we'll try to keep you posted. At which point, I'm also to thank Nancy Andrews, in addition to Jean Marie Callahan, I want to thank Nancy for her work uh, in support of the church program as well at the office and tell you that you have an opportunity to participate in this morning's morning offering by writing something out and mailing an envelope to First Congregational Church, One Monument Circle, Old Bennington, Vermont, 05201. We're very grateful for your support uh, in whatever way you can do that. There being no other announcements, the morning offering for the work of the church will now be received.
We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, we ask you to be with us in these days. We ask you to dwell in deep in our hearts, in our souls. Enter in and shine a light in apparent darkness for us so that we might see and know your presence in this life and be guided by your Spirit, that we might be able to love and to serve and to go forth each day with joy, to act, to give thanks, to remember, to heal. Give us a sense of ourselves that we may not be too prideful, too certain, too satisfied, but also, dear God, keep us from sadness, impatience, discouragement, and darkness. Dispel what fears we have, or at least shine your light upon those fears so that we may know and see clearly. Be always at our side. Help us when we pray, when we feel alone, when we call out. Be with those this day who are ill. Be with those this day who are confused. Be with us when we hear and see things we scarcely believe. Let us never forget that all on this earth are your children in foreign lands, in places near at home. Let us understand what hard words and bad intent can do to others and to us, to the shared life we have. Let us avoid things that tend towards hate and unkindness. And yet we know, dear God, this world drifts and seems without anchor and some seem without conscience. And so let us be wise, innocent as doves, wise as serpents, in navigating this place. With your light in our life, let us guide ourselves through hard times. We remember those who have guided us and taught us and given us some sense of hope and faith. We give you thanks for their lives and their teaching. We give you thanks for doctors and nurses, hospitals and places of health, for hard work being done in these days to make life better. We pray for our country and this world, places of peace, places that peace may be made. And though it is not heaven, it is our home, and may we grace it with kindness and love. Be with us as a church, as we look to the future, as we hope, as we maintain ourselves. Let us go forth into these days to look up, to see the sun in the day, the sky at night, and know that this life is for us, in which we may act and know your presence. Now in silence, we make our prayer to you. Amen. And as Jesus taught us, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our hymn is Brightest and Best of the Stars of the Morning. May God bless us and keep us. May God's face shine upon us and give us peace this day and evermore. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Be of good cheer and live your faith in the coming week. Check in again next week for another service. And in the meantime, be well. Permission to podcast and stream the service music is granted under license number 3009679 from CCLI with all other creative rights reserved.